Uh, my name is Tom Ricks, one of the pastors here at Green Tree. We're glad you're here this morning. If you're a visitor, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's a bit of a bittersweet day for me, uh, for us as a spiritual family. Uh, Jeremy Beanbaugh and Aaron Wilkins are uh, in the very near future going to be going off of our staff. Jeremy's taking another call at a church here in St. Louis, and Aaron is not coming back from her maternity leave. Aaron, I'm glad to see you this morning. You feeling okay? Okay, you going to make it another couple of weeks? Good, all right. Um, you know, it's really hard to say what these two have meant to Green Tree, to the spiritual family. There are probably dozens and dozens and dozens of stories around this room if we just had open mic morning uh, where you could share how God has used Aaron's welcoming spirit or Jeremy's teaching to, uh, to impact your life. And so uh, I, I'm, going to, I'm not going to look over there, and I'm not going to look at her too much because I know that I'll, that I'll probably cry, and I've been working all week at not you know, getting too emotional over this. But uh, talk about a, you know, I consider Aaron a bit of a daughter in the Lord and Jeremy uh, a younger brother or a son in the Lord, who you kind of, you know, when you get them to college and they're ready to walk out the door and stand on their own two feet and you feel so great about them at the same time, you're heartbroken. And uh, that's kind of where I find myself this morning. But I couldn't be more proud of both of them. I couldn't be more thankful to God for uh, letting them come into my life and to be part of my journey with Christ. And so uh, we're, I'm thankful that Jeremy's going to share the word with us in just a couple minutes. I love you dearly. Would you, uh, would you come and bring the word to us, please? Yeah, I said the first service, Tom vowed all week that he would not uh, get emotional or cry when he introduced me, and I honestly did not believe him at all, uh, and he pulled it off in both services. But my comeback to that was, you get emotional every week in this pulpit, and the day you tell me goodbye, you don't get emotional. What's up with that? Um, Preaching... uh, final sermon at Greetree, I really struggled a lot with what text to preach, what text to, to select, and uh, in the end, honestly, I came to, I couldn't think of a better text that I wanted to, 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 to end on than John 21, and so you can turn there in your Bibles, uh, John 21 is the very last passage, uh, verse 15 to 25, in the book of John, and uh, it's when Jesus comes to Peter after his betrayal and says, you follow me. So the me is not Jeremy, it's Jesus. Uh, But it's a beautiful passage. Jesus is saying goodbye, and he has some unfinished business with Peter, because Peter has committed uh, betrayal and treason. And the question coming into the passage is, what is Jesus, how is Jesus going to deal with treason among people that say they follow him? So if you would, read with me. The verse will be on the screen, John 21, 15 to 25. When they, the disciples, Had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him a second time, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you, carry you where you don't want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to Peter, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. 
the one who had been reclining at the table close to him and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will, he remain until I come. What is that to you? You follow me. And so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say to him he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple, it's John, who is, that's how John identifies himself. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that this morning you would call us, that you would uh, open our eyes and, and our ears, that we could see and we could hear, and we could hear and see you calling us to come and follow you. This is not something we do of our own will, but something that must be done in us by you, and so we ask you to come, to work in our lives, and to give us the grace to do what you command us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, it was the most uh, intense sporting event I had ever attended in my life. Uh, it was 1997, and it was the Florida, Florida State college football game. And, and back then in the 90s, that's when Florida and Florida State were literally trading you know, national championships. They were, they were in their heyday uh, back then, and, and I had um, uh, some cousins that lived in Gainesville, and they were actually golfing buddies with Steve Spurrier, who was a coach at Florida at the time, and, uh, and, and they talked to him, and he, get, he got me two tickets to the Florida-Florida State game, and so uh, I, I'm all pumped up. I had a friend, a buddy who was, um, uh, a li- he grew up in Tallahassee, lifelong Florida State fan, his name is Thomas. I was like, I got to invite Thomas to go with, with me down to Gainesville, so the, uh, it's a huge matchup, 97, year after Florida won the national championship. Uh, Florida State's ranked number one in the country. They're undefeated, and uh, we're going to Gainesville to the Swamp to see the Florida-Florida State uh, game. And I've been to some intense rivalry, before, rivalry games before, but I wasn't quite prepared for, for what happened when I walked in uh, because, you know, we went down to Gainesville, spent the night with my cousins, got up, went to the game, and, and walked in wearing our Florida State T-shirts. Now, we're sitting in Steve Spurrier's seats, so we're sitting in the middle of uh, all these Florida fans, a sea of uh, of orange, and we've got Florida State shirts on. So as soon as we're walking in, there's kind of like some smack talk going back and forth, and, and we're kind of, you know, into it and, and giving it as good as we're getting. And, I, you know, I think it's kind of this little friendly thing going on, and, and we come to find out maybe not so friendly. But <laughs> what happened was we were seated in kind of an odd section. We, there were just only four seats together, and they were completely by themselves, and it was me, Thomas, and then this other younger couple that sat down had seats next to us, and then in front of us was like the walkway where you walked out to all the other sections. Beside us is the tunnel that, you know, you come, the entrance you come in on. And then above us, if you've ever been to that stadium, there's these big concrete walls where kind of the other, like the above section is here. So there's like a 10-foot wall behind me, and this whole section of uh, rabid Gator fans here. And so uh, as the game progresses... Uh, this, th- it gets more and more intense in the stadium, and, and people start yelling things at us, and they start threatening us, and then, the, and then all of a sudden things are hitting us in the head, and, uh, and, and we're kind of like, this is getting a little bit crazy, and, and it starts to cause such a ruckus that eventually we have two state troopers, two Florida state troopers flanking us on either side. And, uh, and they're literally, for the whole second half, they're doing a military march back and forth in front of us. We have completely shut up. We're not talking anymore. We're trying to just 
stay alive. And there is literally a guy above us, and this, you know, it's 10 feet up, so he can't quite get to us, but you're going to think I'm exaggerating. I'm telling you, his, his neck was as big as my thigh. And, and every time Florida did anything, he was reaching over that concrete thing, screaming at us and reaching like, for us to try to see if he could get us and like, pull us back into the, the fans. So that's why we have the cops guarding us at this point. Well, at, after halftime, the couple beside us, they just they left. They were like, we can't handle this anymore. Totally what we should have done if we had any sense, but we were 18-year-old college freshmen. So instead, we stayed to see what happened in the game. And the game went on, and it just kind of got more and more intense. It was a really close game. Uh, And at the very end, with two minutes to go, uh, Florida took the lead, but Florida State still got the ball back. So it was just, you know, uh, tooth and nail back and forth. Florida State was driving. They they looked like they were going to score and win the game, but Florida intercepted the pass at the last second. And, uh, and sealed the win. One minute to go, la- sealed the win for the Gators. And the place just went crazy. And when it went crazy, everybody that had been in our section taunting us the whole time, they literally started pouring out of the section and coming at us. And, and the troopers, uh, literally, they, they ran up and they formed a wall. And they, they, they tried to stop these people. They were, and, and they were running, they were coming to, coming to get us. And I know you think I'm exaggerating, I'm not. And my parents are here this morning. I don't know if I've ever even told you this story, but you're... So- <laughs> Your son almost didn't make it past freshman year of college. Uh, literally, the, the troopers are, are holding them, and we're sitting there like deer in the headlights, freaked out. And I promise you, the trooper turned to us and looked at me in the eye and said, Run! <laughs> and I, I looked at Thomas. I had no, I'd never been there in my life. I said, Follow me! And we... <laughs> Ran out the, we ran out the tunnel, and we're just running down, and literally you could hear the crowd break through the, the, the cops, and they're chasing us down the tunnel. It's like the barbarian hordes. They're just, you can hear the screams, and we're going to get you, and, and, we're, just, and we're just sprinting. We, get, we come out of the same. We don't know where we're going. Literally running through the parking lot, we, get in, we start jumping fences. We're in people's yards. We're running around. We don't even know where we are. Eventually, we escaped. We had no clue uh, where we were in Gainesville. We did eventually make it back, obviously, but what's the point of the story? Uh, the point of the story is I've hated the Florida Gators to this day. Uh, <laughs> I really don't. I really don't. But the, 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 the point of the story is in that moment, we needed some, I said follow me, but we needed somebody to follow that knew what the heck they were doing. We needed, to fo- we needed somebody to follow who knew us, cared for us personally, who knew the way, and who knew the end. We needed somebody that we could trust, that we could follow. And that's really what this passage is teaching us that Jesus is putting on offer. If you notice, there's two times where Jesus comes to Peter and he says, follow me. And the second time he says in verse 22, he says it very pointedly, Peter, you, he says, you personally, you follow me. And Jesus is going to show himself to be the kind of person that can be followed because he knows us, he knows the way and he knows the end. And so if you're looking at the, the outline, it's pretty simple this morning. It's just, you follow me. You, it's a personal. It's, it's addressed to us personally. It's follow. It has a purposeful intent to it. Jesus is calling us to purpose, and it's prioritized around him. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? Three, those three things. The first thing is following Jesus is personal. And it's especially personal for Peter. Why do I say that? Well, I, I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you had to go you've really hurt somebody or offended somebody or betrayed somebody and you had to go look them in the eye, that's what Peter's going through 
uh, right now. Because if you don't know much about Peter, you might need to know, he, he was kind of a man's man. He was a commercial fisherman, but he always said the boldest, brashest things. You know? And he was the one that said, even if everybody else betrays you, Jesus, I will go with you to the death, right? Um, in John 13, ironically, Jesus is about to lay down his life for his disciples. And, and Peter announces to Jesus, Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. And if you know the story, you know what happened. Peter's bark was bigger than his bite. When, 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 when troops came, when he was arrested, when all that stuff happened, Peter fled. Peter abandoned. Peter betrayed Jesus, and he denied even knowing him. That's what happened to Peter. And so the question we come in is, what is Jesus going to do about it? How is Jesus going to treat Peter? And, and, and the passage starts in chapter 21, and they're all having breakfast together. So now, you know, there's Peter, there's Jesus. I'm sure there has to be kind of this awkwardness, like, I wonder, should I say something? Should he say something? Maybe Jesus will just forget about it. Maybe we shouldn't mention it. And Jesus just goes straight to the heart of the matter. And if you notice, it said, we, didn't, we didn't get to read uh, the earlier part of the chapter. But verse 9, it says that Jesus had made a charcoal fire for them to gather around for this little discussion. And the, the, uh, that might seem like, what's, who cares about that? Well, back in 18, chapter 18, it was clearly stated that it was around the charcoal fire where Peter first denied Jesus, where P- Peter first rejected Jesus. And now Jesus has made a charcoal... There's only two places in all the scripture the word charcoal fire is used. Jesus, Peter's denial and here where Jesus makes this charcoal fire and comes to deal with Peter personally. And he says to him, right to the heart of the matter, verse 15, what does he say? Simon, son of John, do you love me? In other words, you, in other words, you, you said before everybody, you love me more than anybody. You go to the death with me, right, Peter? How'd that work out for you? So he's going right to the place of kind of like Peter's most sensitivity, kind of the place of most pain, which seems kind of odd of Jesus to do because we don't always think of grace working that way, but Jesus is like a surgeon. And what does a surgeon have to do? He has, if he's going to help you, he has to cut you. He has to go to the place of pain. And that's what Jesus uh, is, is, is doing here. He says, there's not going to be this awkwardness, this will he say something, will she say something. There's a wall between me and Peter. There's a barrier. There's something relationally keeping us apart. And Jesus is going to come and tear down that wall. That's what he has come, uh, that's what he's come to do. And so that's what he does. And so he starts to ask him this question. And you might wonder, why in the world does he ask him three times in a row? Because you notice uh, there, there's a certain quality to this restoration. There's a completeness to it. Jesus could have just said, it's okay, Peter. Everybody messes up. It's okay. It's, it's over. He, he, it would have been okay, but kind of incomplete. He could have said, um, don't worry, Peter. That's what the cross is all about anyway. I forgave you. But instead, he asked him three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it said it grieved Peter to hear it. Verse 17, right? It grieved him to hear it. When was the last time we just heard that Peter was grieved? Back when he denied. And when the rooster crowed, he realized, I betrayed my Savior. And so Jesus goes right to the heart of the issue. Why three times? Why ask him three times? Not just one time. And then how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. And so for every denial, for every rejection, Jesus is giving an affirmation. For every, every betrayal that Peter had against Jesus, Jesus is restoring that betrayal. And the message that he's giving to Peter and to us is, Peter, your sin runs really deep but not nearly as deep as the well of my grace. The well of my grace is deeper than the well of your sin. 
And you're going to see what it's like to be completely and fully and holistically restored. It's not this awkwardness. It's not a, 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 a begrudging forgiveness. It's not an obligatory forgiveness. Have you ever apologized to someone and you could tell they didn't really accept the apology, but they kind of just said they did because they, you know, socially you just kind of have to say it's okay. But you knew in your heart it was a half-hearted acceptance. Uh, you know, you see this with your kids. I see this with my kids. You know, my boys will be fighting. I'll go in the room and, okay, let's back it up. Everybody apologize. You know, Jude says, I'm sorry. And Sam says, I forgive you. And, and, uh, and then walk out of the room. And 10 seconds later, what do you hear? A scream because they just got him back for what you just, you know, went in there to handle in the first place. Because, you know, it was, it was, for, it was, a, it was an apology that was at my, at my command, not one that was heartfelt. And sometimes we see, that's how we see Jesus. But you see what Jesus is doing. It's three affirmations for three denials. For Peter's complete need, Jesus is there. And suddenly the walls are torn down. Suddenly that relationship is no more awkward, no longer awkward. It's now made whole. Now there's no more hiding. There's no need anymore to pretend. There's no need anymore to, to pretend that, that for Peter to pretend I'm a pretty good guy. There's simply him and Jesus is personal. And he calls him Simon, son of John. He calls him by his name. He takes time to address him and, and deal with him personally. It's a personal thing to say that my grace runs deeper than your sin. And the reason we put that in Scripture is not just to say, Peter, you follow me, but to say to you and me, you follow me. It's personal for us. The message you follow me is, is not primarily for your husband or your wife or your kids or your parents or, or your friend or the person sitting next to you. It's primarily for you. When is the last time you got personal with Jesus? When's the last time it was personal? You know, it was actually Jesus... Uh, c- confronting you and you dealing with your sin right there and then hearing Jesus affirm and seeing his grace go deeper than your sin and all of a sudden feeling so full that you don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to pretend to be a person you're not. You don't have to, you don't have to put skeletons in the closet because Jesus is real and he knows everything about you. It's personal. The following of Christ, following Jesus is a personal thing. And I think a lot of times we live a half-hearted Christian life is because we believe in a half-hearted Jesus. A Jesus who half-heartedly forgives or half-heartedly restores. And I think there's kind of three ways I see that our culture kind of looks at Jesus. And the first one I call the, the fire alarm Jesus. And, and, you know, if you walk out to a fire alarm in the school, what's it say? In case of emergency, pull this lever, right? So if there's, if there's a crisis emergency, pull the Jesus lever. Otherwise, it's, I'm good with him over there. Then, then there's like the guilt trip Jesus. You know, like the sense that the guiltier I feel, the better I must be doing. Uh, or, or that I'm struggling to impress people or impress Jesus. And Jesus is saying, that's, that's not my character. I'm not a half-hearted Jesus. I came for to restore you fully. And then there's kind of the feel-good Jesus, which is just, uh, you know, it feels good to call yourself a Christian and, and believe in Jesus and have a guy that's nice and loving. You know, it feels good, but is there, is there a sense, do you have a sense of personally following Jesus? Is it personal for you? Jesus says, you follow me. You you follow me. And he says, you can't, you can't actually follow Jesus until you've been restored by him. That's the foundation. Of you can't follow him until you've been restored by him. And that's what he's doing for Peter here. But he doesn't stop there. It's more than restoration. It's more than uh, this personal issue. It's also very purposeful. And I think this is big because uh, sometimes we make Christianity kind of so lame. Like, you know, I believed in Jesus when I was 10 and I don't know, I haven't really known what to do since then. 
Jesus is saying, I'm giving you a whole life. I'm saying, yes, you believed in me, but now come and follow me. Now let me give your whole life purpose. Is, I mean, is there anybody in the room that says, I just don't want my life to have any meaning or significance or purpose? Of course not. Everybody wants, wants that. That's a God-given desire, and Jesus has it on offer. That's why he says, come and follow me. You personally, come follow the purpose, me. And how does that, how does that come out? Well, you look and see that with each, affirm, each affirmation... There's a job, there's a command, there's a mission that Jesus gives to Peter. So there's purposeful in mission. And you see what he continues to say? He says, uh, uh, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, Peter. That's what he's saying. Now, what, is, what does that mean? That's not really something we'd say today because we don't have a lot of shepherds in St. Louis. We don't really know kind of how that, how that goes. But what is he saying? Remember what Jesus called himself? He said, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. I'm the one who protects and cares for the flock. I'm the one who goes out and finds the lost. And now he's saying, Peter, what is mine, what is my ministry, what is most important to me, what is most personal to me, I'm sharing it with you. And I'm commissioning you now to be a shepherd, to go out and feed sheep, to go out and love people, to go out in my mission in the world. Peter, you follow me by engaging in my mission in the world. Feed my Sheep, And this is important because it shows how complete the restoration, how beautiful it is. Because it doesn't just stop with, hey, Peter, it's okay. You did it. I, I forgive you now, but just sit on the sideline and let me do my thing. He says, I'm now, Peter, you failed miserably. You betrayed and, and committed treason against me. Now let me trust you with the most important thing I could give you, my sheep. That's beautiful restoration. I thought about that some this week because I remember taking my oldest son Jude on, on his second fishing trip ever. I remember the second one a lot more than the first because it was much more eventful. I'll tell you why. It's because we went down to Kirkwood Park to Walker Lake and, and we were fishing and sure enough he caught a little catfish and he, he brought it in and we were so excited. I took it off the hook and gave it to him and we took his picture with it and um, uh, you know, we threw it back in the water, let him throw it back in and then I started rebaiting the hook, put another worm on the hook. And so he's excited. He's running around. You know, he's two years old, and I got the rod laying over here, and I'm here baiting the hook, and uh, he's running. Then he makes a lap, and he runs between me and the rod. And you know what happens is that he catches his foot on that line at the perfect time when the hook was here on my finger, and it just yanked that hook right through my finger. And I'm pretty sure that those two families that were, like, next to us fishing did not immediately guess that guy's a Christian pastor by what came out of my mouth. Because it really hurt. Uh, and, uh, and so finally, you know, that happened. He, he, didn't even know, he didn't even know what happened. He was only two. And I was trying to figure it out. And finally, I get this hook out of my finger. And, I'm, you know, I'm ticked off. And I, I, honestly, the thought in my mind is, I don't want to do that again. Let's just pack this stuff up and go home. See, the question is, it's not really am I going to forgive him. He's my son. I love him. Of course I'm going to forgive him. The question is, Am I going to put that rod back in his hand again? Am I going to give him another shot at it? That's the question for Jesus and Peter. Okay, he's been restored, he's been forgiven. But full restoration means trust. Full restoration means now Jesus is going to say to Peter, feed my sheep. I'm giving you what's most important to me. I'm giving it to you. And I remember a time early on in my ministry here at Green Tree and... uh, uh, I remember I was asked to do something, and I tried to do it, and it was kind of a, 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 a miserable failure and didn't really go well. And I remember talking to Tom about it in his office uh, afterward, and 
You know, he was like, it, it, didn't, it didn't go well. And uh, we're talking about it. And he said, so when you do it next time, make sure you think about this and this. And I thought, next time? You're going to let me have a next time? It's not over? So of course not. Failure doesn't mean it's over. Failure means you receive the grace of God and then re-engage the mission of God. That's what Jesus is saying to Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. I know I failed you. Good. Go out and tend my sheep. He's commissioning him. He's giving him the mission of the gospel. Why is that so important? Because he's saying that it's not just that Jesus is able to kind of get over the failure and still give Peter something to do. It's actually that failure is completely central to Peter's calling. He was the biggest failure, and God is giving him the biggest task to do. This is important because why? Every day the message you hear from the world is, you blew it. If you blow it is, you blow it, you're out. The message from the culture is, you're not successful, you're out. And the message of the gospel with Jesus is the complete opposite. Did you blow it? Yes. Are you out? No. You're in. Your failure actually qualifies you now to lead because you're a broken person. And now you can lead. You can engage in mission. So the question to us is, have we moved beyond just simply having a forgiveness relationship with Jesus and moving on to because of that forgiveness, that foundation, are we following him? Are we engaged in purposeful mission? Is our, is our life full of purpose with the mission of, of God? That's really, the, that's really the question. What does it mean to come and follow him, to have his mission? That's what Jesus was calling Peter to and what he's calling us to. He's the only, only religion, only, only God that we could serve who would say, you failed, therefore I'm entrusting you with what's most important to me. It's important that we see there's no such thing as this, an idea of Christianity, a purely private virtue. But a Christianity that calls us to actively following Jesus, to loving people, to tending sheep. If, you, if your call to follow Jesus doesn't include tending and feeding some sheep, then you've missed the call of Christianity. And it's actually mutual. It actually goes both ways. If you think about John 10, 10.44, uh, 10.14, Jesus says, I know my own and my own know me. When I was first getting ready for ministry, a lot of people said to me, don't get too close to people in your congregation. Don't get, you can't be really good friends with people because you never know when they might you know, use that to hurt you or something like that. And I am so thankful that I did not listen to that advice. Jesus says shepherding doesn't look like a one-way street where the, the pastor's up here and he shepherds the people down there. I know my own and my own know me, Jesus said. And so I just want to say to you guys, I'm so thankful for the fact that some of my best friends in the world are sitting in front of me. Because you guys have taught me as much about shepherding, or maybe more, as I've taught you. You guys have shepherded my family and me as, as much or more than I have shepherded you or your family. And I'm grateful that uh, we've had, at least I've experienced it that way, that kind of, that kind of relationship. And so there's a, purposeful, a purposefulness in mission. Uh, but it's a little bit more than that. There's also loss, because anytime you, you're going to live for something, you have a mission, it's going to call sacrifice. And if we follow Jesus and his mission rather than ours, we have to accept the loss of certain things. And, and 
Peter has to confront this, right? Look at verse 18 and 19. What does he say to Peter? Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you dressed yourself and you walked wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And he says, follow me. You see what Jesus' definition of maturity uh, maturity is? It's, it's the opposite of one that we tend to have, right? Because we tend to say, like, it's when you're young and, you know, that's when you pay your dues, when you build your career, it's when you work really hard. And then when you're old, then you can retire, relax, and be liberated and be free. Jesus says it's the opposite. The more you mature in me, the more you follow me, it will actually become opposite. You'll have to lose some things if you're going to follow my mission. You'll have to lose your independence. He says to Peter, you're going to go places you didn't want to go before. You're going to be dressed by someone you didn't want to dress you before. And it's going to take you to places and do things that you would have normally, ordinarily done, except for the fact that you have loved me and believed in my mission that I've given to you. That's That's how Jesus... Is calling, he's preparing Peter for what he's about to have to do. So you might have to lose your independence. You might have to lose a relationship. You might have to lose things. And what he is really saying to us and to Peter is, you can't really follow me unless there is nothing you're not willing to give up for my sake. There's nothing, nothing is off limits. Nothing is conditional for Jesus. That's how important the following uh, is. And just, just look relationally at Peter and John. Peter and John are like best friends. You see them on the, all through the Gospel of John. They're together. They even run to the empty tomb together. They race together. And uh, they're, they're, they're best friends. But if they continue to follow Jesus, as we find out in the book of Acts and church history, they're going to get separated. They're going to be pulled to two different places. They're going to be in two different cities doing two different ministries. And Jesus is going to call them to separate, to, to lose a relationship in a sense. I thought about that a lot, actually, as I wrestle with my own calling, wrestle with my own... Uh, what is God calling us to do? Where is he calling us to go? And uh, I will say, I turned down a church in Hilton Head, South Carolina, so I must really be listening to Jesus. <laughs> so, uh, but as we thought about that, I thought, the loss of relationship would be, be, just be crazy for me, like to lose the relationship. And what Jesus is saying here is that whatever you lose for my sake, you lose a relationship for my sake, it will be made up in your relationship with me. That's why you can follow me, Peter. That's why you can lose this thing. That's really what he says to us, is that whatever we lose for the sake of the gospel, Jesus said this in Mark 10, you'll be repaid a hundredfold in this life, he says. In other words, you might have to give up some temporal security and comfort in order to live out the mission of Jesus. But you get it for eternity. Who wouldn't make that trade? Who wouldn't trade 80 years for infinity? And that's why I love the verse in Matthew uh, 10, 44, where it says, the king, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure in a field which a man found and covered up, and in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. In his joy. You see, like, this is a useless piece. It, it's totally countercultural. Everybody must have been watching this guy go buy this field and go, that's a useless field, it's a worthless field. What is this guy doing? He just gave everything he had to have it, but he knew there was a treasure there that nobody else saw. And Jesus says, I am the treasure, and whatever you lose for my sake will be made up, and it will be restored to you. You can trust me in that. And, and, and I think what happens is we follow Jesus, as we really begin to be personal related to him, we start to see that all the things that seem so important, so... so uh, so I had to have uh, so, so big in our lives, they, they just start to begin to fade. And suddenly they, they're just not as important anymore. 
because they fade in the, in the glory and the grace uh, of Jesus. And so the question we think about our own mission is what, what are you losing this morning? What are, you, what are you sacrificing in order to engage the mission of Jesus? Who are you loving that you wouldn't normally love because you love Jesus? How are you being generous that you wouldn't normally, that just culturally you just wouldn't be generous this way? Unless you said, this, I'm in Jesus' mission. That's the call to come and follow. And the last purpose is the purpose, it's purpose in suffering. And, you know, this goes really deep in Peter's life. Do you remember what he said to Peter in verse 18? He says, Peter, you will stretch out your hands. What does that mean, stretch out your hands? He clarifies it in verse 19 when he says, he said this to show him what kind of death he was going to die by, how he was going to glorify God in death. In other words, Peter, stretch out your hands means you will follow me the same death I had. You will follow me to a cross, to stretch out your hands on the cross. And we know from church history and tradition that Peter did die that way. And when the sentence came down and said, you're going to be crucified, Peter, he said, I know that's right. My only request is that I be crucified upside down. So that, because I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same way as my master. Jesus had prepared him for that moment. And he's saying that following him sometimes will mean really hard days, really hard seasons, really hard lives. And the first question we ask in suffering is usually why. Why, God? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? Why, why this? And that's a great question. It's a question Scripture asks, a question we should ask, but it's not the primary question. He says the primary question is not why, but who. You see, there, there's a good chance a lot of your why questions and mine are not, they're not going to be necessarily answered fully this side of eternity. We can't always know why, but we can't always know who. We trust the one that we follow. Because he's the one who gave his life for the sheep. And if the shepherd gives his life for the sheep, you know it's a good shepherd. And so you can follow him even if you can't understand it. That's what Jesus says when he says, follow me. If we just follow him when he understood, if we just follow him when he agree, it's not really obedience. Jesus says, trust me and follow me. That is the purpose. Now, I would imagine that anybody... To have the, the risen Christ look you in the eye and say, you're going to die on a cross, that's pretty stunning. And that's the, that's the news that Peter gets here. And, uh, but what follows that line is like my favorite part of the story. Because we wouldn't have the last part of John. We wouldn't have this favorite part of the story unless John, the disciple, was nosy and, uh, and eavesdropping. And so Peter and, 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 and Jesus, they leave. They start walking down the shore to have their own little conversation. And the picture is it's like a John's just kind of like, don't mind me, I'm just here. You know, he's kind of eavesdropping on the conversation and listening in on what's happening. And you get to hear what the conversation actually is that would have otherwise been private. This is what it says. Peter turned and saw, this is verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had been reclining at table close to him, that's John. And then verse 21, Peter, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. You follow me. I think this, this, is, this is a great story because we all have these individual stories. But what Jesus is saying is, I tell you your story, 
but nobody else's. This is so easy to ask with Peter, right? What about that man? Right? It's the question of a child, right? I mean, you, 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 when, I, when I say to, to my oldest son, it's time, come on, it's time to go up and get a bath. Oftentimes, of course, we'll be, well, what about him? Younger brother, right? What are you going to do with him? You're going to make him do that? You're going to make him do the same thing you make me, make, me, make me do? And my response is, I'm the father. I know what he needs, and I know what you need. You just need to follow me up and get this bath, and I'll take care of him. And that can be so hard because in our hearts, we know it is, all we want to do is look at, around us and say, but what about that man? What about that woman? And Jesus says, the question is not what about that man, it's what about the man, Jesus. Because we can all look around and say, man, I, I wish I had his gift. I wish I had, I wish I had, I wish I could do what they, I wish I could play football like that. I wish I, I, wish I had that ability. I wish, I wish I had that life. I wish I had their money. I wish I had their, their family, their kids, their spouse. I wish I, I wish I had their body, their looks. You know, working at Greecher, I always said, I wish I had Tom Rick's hair, but I have this hair instead. Well, the, the, the point is that it's always the question we want to ask is, what about that man? And Jesus is saying, no, what about the man? What about Jesus? And envy, just, envy jealousy just does something to our hearts where it, it suddenly, it, it totally warps our minds so that we are focused. We're keenly aware of everyone else's blessings in relationship to our burdens. And we're totally unaware of all of our blessings in relation to other people's burdens. And the gospel just 180s it. It reverses it. Jesus says, if you follow me, you become aware of other people's burdens and you serve them. And you, 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 you look to me, not what about that man, what about the man? Because you follow, Jesus says, me. Your whole life suddenly becomes prioritized around me. How do you do it? How do you live? How do you follow Jesus right now, where you are, whatever's going on in your life? How is Peter going to follow Jesus to the cross? Well, I, I said in the beginning when I talked about the, getting chased out of the stadium that we really needed a leader who, who, who knew us personally, who, who knew the way, right, the, the purpose, how to get out, and he knew the end, what was, gonna, what was actually going to happen, what the priority was. And Jesus is saying, I'm that man. Not just for some little event, but for all of life, all into eternity. Peter, how are you going to follow Jesus to the cross? Because who do we like to follow? Who are we going to follow down a difficult path? Only the people that have gone and done it and treaded those steps before us. And he says, I've been to the cross, Peter, and I've come to the other side. Now you can follow me and come out the other side too. How are you going to follow Jesus when you feel like my life is just so unfair? You don't ask about that, that man. Ask about the man. And come back to Jesus his life was more unfair than anybody you've ever imagined. He was the most innocent person in the world, and yet he suffered more than the most guilty person we could ever imagine. You say, how do I follow Jesus when I feel so abnormal? I feel so out of the, out of the, out of the flow of things. I feel so different than everybody else, and I just don't, I, I can't, nobody seems to really relate to me. Don't ask about that, man. Ask about the man. Jesus is the one who was called abnormal, who's called radical, who's called son of Satan. He's the one who was mocked and scorned and made fun of. You say, how am I going to live my life? I just feel like, I just feel so deprived. 
Don't ask about that man. Ask about the man. He was, Jesus came from heaven, gave up everything he had in heaven to be deprived and live on earth. Why did he do all these things? For you. So he could come and, like Peter, look you and me in the eye and say, as deep as your sin runs, my, sin, my grace runs deeper. Now come and you follow me. You follow me. So when I thought about my last sermon at Greek, I thought, I, I, I don't want... I don't really want it to be about me. It's not about this man. It is about the man. It's about Jesus. Every leader has an expiration date. And what I would hope to leave is not my memory in this congregation. What I hope to leave is an imprint of Jesus Christ and, the, and his call on our lives. What I hope to leave is the stirring of your hearts to love him and the, and the rustling of your minds to think of him and the, and the spurring of your hands and feet to go out and serve him. Because Jesus comes to each of us personally, and says, you, personally, you follow me. Are you following him this morning? Let's pray. Jesus, in some sense, you ask us to do uh, the impossible, to follow you. And yet you, you don't ask us to do something in which you don't give the grace to do it. So I pray that you would empower us by your grace that all of us would take a stock, that all of us would look at our lives and say, maybe my wife and kids, are, they're following Jesus, but am I following Jesus? And so I pray that we would be caught up in the glory and the mercy that you have given us in Jesus Christ. We would understand that full restoration, not for ourselves, that we might engage in your mission and live with purpose, centered around you. Lord, may we follow you in Jesus' name. Amen.